Hey there, everyone. This is Greg Shoots for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 32 of the 2020 podcast series, getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin April 23rd. That's right, less than two weeks away, a fully virtual draft. That means it's going to feel just like your online fantasy football drafts. You know, really going to be interesting to see how the broadcast really plays out on, on on ESPN, ABC, NFL Network. Completely virtual. All of the front offices, the GMs, you know, really from home. They'll be working from home, uh, so a lot of Zoom and Skype conversations you have to figure will be taking place. Um, but we do have a draft, and you know, with that. We also have a Ready for the Draft podcast, and I've been mentioning this over the course of the last few podcasts since uh, we've been sheltering in place, since you know COVID-19 um, has really taken place, social distancing. I wanted to continue to put these podcasts together, really to give everyone a release, an outlet, something that we can talk about, something that we can look forward to. We know that the NFL season, we don't know what it's going to look like in 2020, but you know that's really kind of the goal and what we're striving for. We know that there is going to be a draft next week, April 23rd through the 25th. Something to really talk about, really something that I can immerse myself in and not really have to think about COVID-19, sheltering in place, what that all means for for myself, my family, my friends, um, you know, really be able to just kind of immerse myself in all things draft. So I hope that this is kind of a release and kind of an outlet for you as well. So we'll go ahead and jump into things. What I've really been doing over the last few podcasts is really taking everyone on a, uh, a journey, a uh, Roadshow, if you will, taking a look at all 32 teams by division and really what that free agent market, what that's done to the NFL draft, what it's done to the rosters, because inevitably, if there is going to be a big free agent signing or a big trade, then you know that there's going to be one team that's going to benefit from that trade and another team that may be giving up, you know, whether it's a, a you know cap casualty, you know, a money dump, whatever the case may be, you're going to have two different teams. You know, one team gains uh, a position, a positional player, and that maybe filling a hole. You got another team that now has a hole that needs to be filled. So you look at the draft, you have to really figure out what this is going to look like as everything goes through. So we, we talked about uh, the NFC West in the last podcast, and uh, we're going to be talking about the AFC West, obviously, in this podcast. Go ahead and round out uh, th- this field trip, if you will, taking a look at all of these teams uh, by division. And what's really, you know, when we look at this this division, you know, you're looking at the Chargers. You know, Philip Rivers has moved on to the Colts, uh, and so do you go Justin Herbert? Do you go Jordan Love? Uh, then you have the Vegas Raiders with two first-round picks. You, know, you figure they have to be on the market for a wide receiver. But that second pick, what do they do? There are some different options there. Then you have the Broncos sitting there at number 15. Do they go corner? Do they go receiver? Is there going to be a receiver worth taking at number 15? Um, and then the Super Bowl champs, Kansas City Chiefs, sitting there at number 32 overall. They can go in a number of different uh, different directions as well that we're going to go ahead and take a look at. But before we jump into things, you know, it's really funny with the, the sheltering in place. It ultimately has me focusing on my draft so much that over the course of the last few days, I don't know how many changes I've made to my first round. And, and honestly, when I take a look at this draft, 
you know, I, I think the first concern that I have is really that number four overall pick. What's going to happen with the New York football giants, as Chris Berman likes to call them? A lot of people are picking them to take a tackle, and it makes perfect sense. Mike Remmers has moved on to the Chiefs. You need to protect your investment in, in Daniel Jones, and obviously your running back, Saquon Barkley, who was drafted just a year prior. You've got Jedrick Wills, who's probably the best offensive tackle in this year's draft, and he's kind of a plug-and-play type offensive tackle. You can plug him in at right tackle, play the right tackle position at Alabama. The best pass sets in this year's draft, in my opinion, but you don't really get the type of star power defensively in this draft if you don't take Isaiah Simmons with that fourth overall pick. Now look, Isaiah Simmons, I've seen a lot of people that that are, are tr- talking about Isaiah Simmons' game in a negative way. They don't understand and don't, you know, why there's so much hype around Isaiah Simmons. They say, you know what, he can't cover slot receivers, he can't cover tight ends, he can't play free safety over the top, he can't play in the box. Uh, you know, I've seen all kinds of different things that really people are, are, are looking at Isaiah Simmons game and they're saying, well, he just can't do any of this. You know, yeah, he might be fast for a, uh, for a linebacker. He's not too, you know, he's not fast enough to be a safety. And I'm just left scratching my head going, what in the world are some of these people talking about? You look at Isaiah Simmons and what you have is a guy who can cover backs and tight ends at the linebacker position, something that the the Giants just haven't had. You look at Alec Ogletree a season ago, he was not able to cover tight ends or or the backs out of the backfield. Isaiah Simmons has proven to be able to do that. Lining up against receivers in the slot, facing South Carolina, and if you listen to my podcast, I've talked about this example time and time again, but it's just proof that Isaiah Simmons, he's a converted safety. You know, he, he ended up hitting the weights, bulked up to 238 pounds, but he's a converted safety. And he was kind of that Dorian O'Daniel. That's kind of how I compared him initially when uh, he was there at Clemson, uh, that linebacker that flew around all over, all over the field. And there's so much more to his game, though, because he lines up against Shai Smith in this year's uh, South Carolina game. Uh, Shai Smith is a, is a slot receiver, solid so- slot receiver, one of the better uh, SEC receivers out of the slot. And, and so... You know, Simmons is beaten initially off the ball, and then he's able to recover with this 43940 speed that, that he showed off at the combine. And he, he's able to time his jump, you know, not only recover, but put himself track the ball, put himself in a position to make a play, times his jump, and attacks the football in the air right at the catch point, knocks the football away. You know, and that's just one example. But you know, I hear people say, well, he can't do it. There's one example right there. You know, that that he was able to, you know, it was just a dynamic play that, that was proof that this guy has the athleticism to be able to do it. You know, and you see him line up in the slot time and time again, and he's not getting beat. You know, he's showing that he can he can make those plays. He can play over the top. He has the range to be able to do that. He can play in the box. He can rush the passer off the edge. He can time his his blitzes up the middle, shoot the A-gap, and put pressure on the quarterback. This guy can make plays all over the field. If I'm Dave Gettleman, and I'm looking for a guy who can really make a difference, you know, you've got star power on the offensive side of the ball. You've got Daniel Jones. You've got Saquon Barkley. You know, I, I think you start thinking, well, I got to protect my investments. And, you know, there's a hole at the right tackle position. Absolutely, you can plug in Jedrick Wills. But in round two, you're not going to be able to find a guy like Isaiah Simmons. 
But if you take Isaiah Simmons in the first round, you're going to get a starting tackle in round number two. Georgia's Isaiah Wilson, the mammoth right tackle, you know, 6'7 and 340 pounds, you know, the, the junior, he reminds me a lot of, of Phil Lodeholt from, from Minnesota, the Vikings, you know, came out of OU, went to Minnesota and played, you know, was a starter, was a mainstay there on the Vikings offensive line at right tackle for a decade. And I'm looking at Isaiah Wilson, and I think he could be the exact same type of player. So if Gettleman is smart, you know, with it, in my opinion, I think what he does is he goes Simmons there knowing that he can get a tackle in round two. You just can't get a player uh, with, with the versatility and the tool belt that that uh, that Isaiah Simmons has. So the next pick that I'm really, you know, kind of tossing around, what do I do with it, is the Jets. And if you listen to the podcast a few podcasts ago, I, I talked about the Jets taking a corner, taking C.J. Henderson. Why? Well, you lose Tremaine, uh, Tremaine Johnson and you lose Daryl Roberts. You're starting corners from a season ago. Yes, you bring in Pierre Desir, who, who really... Had a had a breakout season, you know, the 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 last couple of years really in, in Indianapolis, but you still need a lockdown corner on the outside. C.J. Henderson was going to be that guy, um, but when I look at things, the other two needs on this team are offensive tackle and wide receiver, and, and at the offensive tackle position, I, I think. You look at a lot of the what Joe Douglas, you know, who is the GM and he's an he's an offensive line guy. What he's been able to do offen- with that offensive line already, uh, bringing in the lights of Connor McGovern to to man that that center position, and, and he's also addressed um, the, the the tackle position as well, bringing in George Fant, and he's re-signed Alex Lewis. You've got Brian Winters to play the guard position. You still have Chuma Adogu, who started eight games at right tackle a season ago. So do they need to go tackle with this pick? You know, it, it, if Andrew Thomas is there or um, Tristan Wirfs, you know, there's absolutely a possibility. And in my mock draft, both of them are available at number 11. But... You know, and what's funny is, is really, if you look at my, my first mock draft, which is usually more accurate than my final mock draft, I just go with my gut at the beginning. And I had Andrew Thomas going uh, to the Jets at number 11. You know, and if you're curious, I, I do have my very first mock draft. I have the results of the first mock draft on my website, readyforthedraft.com. You'll be able to see exactly where I, where I had eat who I had each team taking in round number one back in January. Um, but I, I look at the Jets. They need a number one wide receiver. Yes, they brought in Brashad Perriman, and I was talking, trying to talk it up, trying to talk myself into saying, you know what, they don't need the wide receiver. They've got Brashad Perriman. They can end up getting a number one wide out later on in the draft. But, but you know what, at the end of the day, let's not overthink things. Sam Darnold needs a number one wide receiver. C.D. Lamb is a number one wide out. You're able to get C.D. Lamb in round number one. You look at an offensive tackle in round two. I think Ezra Cleveland, yes, I had him initially going to Seattle in the first round, but I think Seattle has a bigger issue with getting a pass rusher, especially considering it doesn't look like Jadavion Clowney may resign. Um, so I, I think Ezra Cleveland falls to round two. Jets are able to pick him up there. And then looking at a corner in round three, you know, Bryce Hall, 21 pass breakups as a junior, as a senior, you know, his season's cut short with his leg injury. 
done for the year, not able to perform at the combine. Um, you know, a, a guy who I think his draft stock has fallen as a result, but he's a guy who can end up being a lockdown corner. So essentially what you've done is you've addressed all three of your needs with three players who can be starters week one. So, you know, I look at that and I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm looking at Vegas. You know, I think Jerry Judy makes a ton of sense. We'll get into that second pick. Um, you know, so, but that trio there with the, the Jets, the Raiders, and the 49ers, I think they're all looking for a receiver. San Francisco, if Judy's not there, I think they go Henry Ruggs. I really think they do. You know, at the end of the day, I talked myself into it. I was like, Henry Ruggs a third. You put him there. You know, it, it, you know C.J. Henderson at the cornerback position, you can get a corner at 31 overall. I have him taking, uh, the, the Niners taking Jeff Gladney. Uh, but you look at Henry Ruggs III, pro football focus, really pointed out that this was a guy who ran a lot of ins, a lot of slants, a lot of crossing routes, and that's what Kyle Shanahan's offense likes to do. And this guy is so explosive, you know, a, you know, a, a touchdown every 4.08 receptions. So, you know, this is a guy who is dynamic, only 88 receptions in his career, um, you know, with with uh, Alabama. And despite that number, I mean, you know, this was a guy who found the end zone, um, you know, 24 times. I mean, it's just absolutely staggering, you know, what this guy was able to do uh, with his explosiveness. Ran a 4.2740, and uh, I look at the impact that Marquise Brown had for the Ravens when he first stepped onto the field. I think you're going to see something similar with Henry Ruggs III, which then means Denver needs to address their wide receiver position. They also need to address the cornerback position. They lost Chris Harris. They bring in A.J. Boye, but they still need to address the other side because Bryce Callahan is a nickel. Isaac Adam is not ready for a starting position. Um, so we'll get into uh, into that. C.J. Henderson really makes the most sense there for Denver. So been making some adjustments to the draft. You know, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. Michael Pittman Jr., maybe it was a little bit of a stretch to put him in round number one, but I think he's a solid round two pickup. I'm looking at Indy, putting him back there. I had him at going to Indy earlier. I think he would complement uh, T.Y. Hilton very well. Uh, Phillip Rivers, I think, would fall in love with throwing the football to Michael Pittman Jr. as well. Um, so, that's kind of what I've been doing over the last few days is really been looking at my draft, trying to really work things together. And before I had my last podcast where we're really taking a look at each of the divisions, I wanted to make sure that I got things right with each of these teams. So let's go ahead and jump into the chargers. And, and you know what, you know, the Chargers sitting there at number six. Um, what's crazy is you won't see Phillip rivers uh, in the bolts uniform. You know, he's been a fixture under center for them, you know, 224 games started, uh, 235 if you count the playoffs. You know that's in a row since September 11th, tw- uh, 2006. So what direction do they go? You know this franchise. This is a franchise that's only known two starting quarterbacks, Philip Rivers and Drew Brees, since 2001. So, you know Tyrod Taylor is not going to be the answer, obviously. So you know what direction do you go? Do you go Justin Herbert or do you go Jordan Love? I'm not ready to jump on the Jordan Love bandwagon. You know, and, and in our next podcast, we're going to start breaking down all of the quarterbacks, you know, um, and, and running backs. We're going to go position by position, taking a look at, 
really where you know I, I see the different players coming off the board. Who who do I see coming off the board in, in rounds one, two, and three? And then also, what do we see for for the day three picks four through seven as well? And, and that's really where the debate's going to be with Justin Herbert and Jordan Love. Um, I, I think both Herbert and Love do go off the board in round number one. If you look at my mock draft, I have Jordan Love going to the Colts in round two. I think the Colts end up trading back into round one to get their quarterback. But we'll talk about that in uh, in the next podcast. So when you look at the Chargers and you look at Justin Herbert, uh, you know this is a guy, he's a big, physical, strong-arm quarterback with a lot of athleticism. Reminds you a lot of Phillip Rivers in that sense. 6'6", 227 pounds. Uh, you know, this is a guy who, who came to, to Oregon and you know, was a star from, from the out onset. You know, there as a, as a, as a freshman, uh, really stepped onto the field and was a difference maker for the Ducks. Um, you know, he steps on, as I said, and in his second start, ties the school record for six touchdown passes. The following week, he accounted for a school record 512 total yards, also tying Bill Musgrave's record for passing yards in 1989, with, which was set in 1989 with 489. 12 touchdowns in three games equal the mark set by Joey Harrington in 2000, Marcus Mariota in, in 2012. Both of those guys were taken in the top three in their respective drafts. You know, now Herbert, you know, he did battle injuries in his first two seasons. So, you know, 2018 was really his first full season as a starter. And he did eclipse a thousand yard passing mark, threw for 29 touchdowns, just eight interceptions, but he completed just 59.4% of his passes. Ducks finished nine and four record in, in their first season under Mario Cristobal. And, and, you know, Herbert had a chance to enter the draft a season ago. I thought it was actually a good move coming back as a senior. You know, he completed just under 67% of his passes, throwing for over 3,400 yards, 32 touchdowns, just six interceptions. You know, some may just you know criticize the fact that he just threw for 300 yards just four times in, in 2019, but it should also be known that Cristobal you know, is a former offensive lineman from the U and really changed the culture with the Ducks by infusing a different level of toughness led by that power running game and that physical offensive line led by Panay Sewell, who will be a, a, a top five pick in next year's draft. Um, really um, was leaned on to lead a team, you know, in a balanced offense. And ultimately the Ducks um, were, you know, led the Ducks to a Rose Bowl victory over Wisconsin as a senior. Um, you know, and there's no question, like I said, the, the, the prototypical size, the arm strength to make every throw in the NFL route tree. You can make those down downfield throws on the, on those nine routes of streaks uh, to beat the deep safety shows. He can throw uh, to the wide side of the field from the near hash on a line uh, has the velocity to fit the pass into the tight window, getting the ball to the target in a hurry. Uh, Does a great job at the line of scrimmage, identifying the matchup that he wants to attack. You see him going through his progressions, uh, sees the entire field, makes confident decisions regarding where to go with the football and the athleticism in the pocket, able to manipulate the pocket, stepping up to avoid the rush, rolling away from pressure to make a throw down the field, uh, drops his arm angle to fit the pass in, uh, does a good job scoring his shoulders to the target while on the move as well. Uh, eye discipline you know, is something that you definitely see as well. Holding the safeties in the middle of the field before letting go of the pass to the outside. Uh, his ball fakes on play action are some of the best in college football. This kid is, you know, has a high football IQ. He won the Campbell Trophy, which is the equivalent of a of the academic Heisman. Had a 4.01 GPA in college. I didn't realize you can get over a 4.0 in in college, but apparently you can because Justin Herbert did it. And so, you know, then there's the athleticism. You know, for a guy this size, he reminds me a lot of of uh, Josh Allen from a season ago uh, with with 
you know, being able to move as well as he does for, for his size. He's not afraid to pull the ball and run. His long strides allow him to eat up a ton of yards in a hurry. And I mean, there's really no surprise that he ran a 4.6840 at the combine. You know, considering that, that performance on the ground against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl resulted in three rushing touchdowns, and that was really key to the Ducks ultimately getting that win. So he, he does get beat up about his ball placement, but it still doesn't mean that he, he doesn't you know, have the ability to put that intermediate pass on the mark. It's just there's inconsistency. If you watch that Rose Bowl game, showed off, you know, being able to put a 16-yard back shoulder throw on Juwan Johnson away from the corner to the outside on one play. And the very next, hits a tight end on a wheel route, placing the ball over his outside shoulder, just drops it right on in. But the problem is, is that he, he seems to wait an extra count before releasing the ball, not really trusting what he sees, overanalyzing things, uh, you know, par- paralysis by overanalysis that sometimes uh, just needs to let it fly. Um, you know, has a tendency to put in-breaking routes on the hip of the wide receiver as opposed to throwing the receiver open by putting it out in front. That allows the defenders to get a hand on the ball and make a play. His deeper throws don't always have enough air under them, which just causes the, the passes to sail. Uh, also needs to put some uh, some air under his, his fade routes to allow his receivers to just go up and make a play on the football over the corner and in front of the safety. Um, you know, those are some of the the issues that you really see with with Herbert, and uh, you know, I, it, it's it's just something that the pros and the physicality and what you have there with with Justin Herbert, I think it outweighs the concerns. And you you're bringing in a lead, a proven leader, a guy who does whatever it takes on the field to win. And a lot of people talked about his his inability to lead. Uh, a football team, but what you saw at the at the combine and at the Senior Bowl, uh, you know everybody was talking about it on social media about how t- guys were gravitating towards him. So even though he's not the not the most outspoken outspoken and gregarious leader that you might see from a Baker Mayfield, you know I, I think this is a guy the introvert. Look, Marcus Mariota was not a guy who who came out of Oregon as a a raw raw type of leader, but. You know, he was a guy who also commanded respect. And I, I look at Justin Herbert, you know, from that, that perspective, this is a guy who's going to come in. He's very intelligent. I think he'll pick up the playbook very quickly and, and he'll be able to play on, on a team that has some tools. He's got Austin Eckler there at running back. He's got a couple of receivers with Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams. But look, I, I think what, what's going to end up happening is after the Chargers get their quarterback in round number one, they're going to look for some additional weapons. So in round number two, I think they're looking at Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. Get that running back in there. Yes, they picked up Austin Eckler, but Melvin Gordon is gone. So you lose Melvin Gordon, and Austin Eckler, I just don't think is going to be a guy that can be that three-down back and just be your your workhorse. And Jonathan Taylor, look, you know, he had a 968 uh, touches. In just three years in Madison uh, with the Badgers, and so that's a, a huge concern. You know, yes, he did have you know 926 carries, over 6,100 yards, and 50 touchdowns in his career, um, but you have to worry about some of the wear on those legs. And if he has a guy that he can share the backfield with a little bit, I think that's going to help with his longevity. So the Chargers going from one Badger to another. And with Jonathan Taylor burst onto the scene as a freshman in 2017, you know, this was a guy that you know people weren't really talking about. 
initially, um, you know, ran that 10, 400 meters in high school that everyone was talking about, uh, just showed off some explosive speed, uh, rushed for nearly 2000 yards as a freshman, um, you know, fell just, uh, what was that? 23 yards shy of, of eclipsing the 2000 yard mark could have been the first running back ever to have three straight seasons uh, of 2000 yards. Um, as it stands in 2018 and 2019, back to back 2000 yard seasons, first running back to do that since Troy Davis, uh, out of Iowa state back in the nineties. Um, you know, but he's just a powerful runner, you know, and has that exceptional vision to, uh, see the holes open up, see the cutback lanes. But really, it, it's one of the things that is a, a trademark of a Wisconsin running back is the patience, allowing the the big offensive lineman uh, to get in front of him. And once that happens, he looks for those cutback lanes. And once he sees them, he puts his foot in the ground. There's no wasted movement, and he gets north and south. It was ability to to plant, make cuts up the field without losing any speed. That's one of the things that's going to make him uh, lethal at the next level. And so he has that breakaway speed. He has that acceleration uh, to get up to top end speed quickly ran that, uh, you know, that four, three, nine 40 at the combine. I think that really turned a lot of heads uh, for a guy as big as he is five, 10, 226 pounds, still ran that four, three, nine 40, 36 inch vertical leap, three cone drill, you know, 7.01 in that three cone drill. That's going to test, you know, your lateral agility. And when you're talking about that, there were only three running backs that were faster than him in that drill. So when you're talking about the lower body explosiveness, his ability to move laterally, uh, he absolutely has that. He, you know, and so that's something that I see with him is he's going to be able to juke you in the open field. He can run by you. And then he also has that lower body strength to run through you. He can run through arm tackles. You You better, you know, Come, come prepare, come to work, pack a lunch, and uh, make sure that you're tackling him, you know, gang tackling, rally to the football as much as possible. Make sure that his shoulders are, are, are square to the to the sideline instead of getting north and south because once he gets ahead head of steam, he's a difficult guy to bring down. I look at the Chargers. Melvin Gordon's gone. Austin Eckler teaming with, with uh, Jonathan Taylor. That makes a ton of sense to me, and I think that really addresses a key need there for the Chargers. Now you're looking at the offensive line in the third round. And the reason why we're doing that is, uh, well, Russell Okung, first and foremost, was traded. Was traded to the to the Carolina Panthers for, for Trey Turner, who's going to take over uh, at the guard position. Uh, creates a hole there at, at left tackle. Now, Brian Balaga was brought in to take over the right side. Sam Tevy just was a disaster over there. They needed the upgrade, so Brian Balaga comes in. Um, I don't think Brian Belaga is going to play left tackle. I think he's really comfortable on that right side. So you do need a left tackle. And it's one of those things when you look at the Chargers, they already have Trey Pipkins on the roster. Could he develop into a starting tackle? That remains to be seen. But I'm looking at a guy who, you know, it's it's someone who I think has the ability to be a starter at the next level. He just needs some... He's still raw, and that's Prince Tega Winogo out of out of Auburn. 6'5", 308, uh, very athletic. You, know, you can absolutely see that. Very fluid movements laterally. Um, has some pretty good power as well to generate some movement in the running game. His big issue is um, you know, some of that technique. Um, it, he needs to get in an, an NFL position you know, with an NFL position coach and really work on some of these things um, because the hands don't always match the feet, gets overextended at times, wants to bend at the waist, lunging, leaning. He's going to lose lose balance. He's going to lose leverage, and uh, he's going to get exposed. So 
He needs some time. He's not going to be a day one starter. If you can start Pipkins right now and then allow you know Winogo to develop, then you know you could potentially have a couple of decent tackles on your hands. Um, you know a few years down the road. You know, as it stands, Blaga, 31 years of age, signed a three-year, 30 million dollar contract, so he signed through the 2022 season. You know, I think with Winogo. Because of the potential, because of the athleticism, I think round three is good value for him and uh, you know, really would address some depth, if nothing else, but they get another need area that's addressed. So then I think you know to start off day three, you look at the Chargers and you look at that receiver position and outside of uh, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, you have cause for concern. I think the cupboard's bare. I think this is a, a position where they're going to double up. Andre Patton, Jason Moore... Tyron Johnson, Jalen Guyton, Darius Jennings. Those are the other receivers on the roster. Could they go receiver sooner? They absolutely could. But I think you can sit in round number four because of the depth of this position and land a receiver um, who can really make an impact. And I'm looking at Quintess Cephas out of Wisconsin. You know, So you're, you're getting this Wisconsin duo of Taylor and Cephas. Let me tell you why Cephas is the guy that you want to look for. You know, um, the, the issue with Cephas, at least at the combine, was he ran that 4-7-3-40, really got an awful start and struggled there. And I think that's really what hurt his draft stock. What's crazy, though, is he has this 38.5-inch vertical leap, so there is lower body explosiveness to him. And uh, a guy who just always seemed to get behind defenses, would get vertical, and you know some of it was being able to beat the guys off the line, getting that good release, you know, and he's exceptionally strong too, to really power through the, the jam, um, you know, from some of those guys trying to redirect off the line, 23 reps at 225 in the bench press at the combine. Um, that was, you know, the most that you saw from a, a wide receiver at the combine, um, you know, very powerful and a guy who I think can get vertical, he ended up improving his time. I want to say he was in the high four fives um, at his pro day. Because, uh, yes, there were a few colleges that were able to get their pro day scheduled early in the draft process. Um, 59 receptions, 900, uh, 901 yards, and seven touchdowns uh, in uh, 2019. Uh, average 16.1 yard, yards per reception in his career. Now look, he's only a junior, uh, but in 2018, he was charged with uh, sexual assault. He was exonerated and ultimately was able to not only re-enroll it at Wisconsin, but then he was also able to... Um, make it back out onto the football team. And look, he had Jack Cohn at quarterback. So the numbers, uh, you know, probably could have been even higher. You know, additionally, you know, he was really the only receiver that was making an impact on the outside. And, um, you know, you, you had Wisconsin that had a stable of running backs, not just Jonathan Taylor running the football. So, you know, he, his numbers, had he played at a pass happy, uh, offense or a more balanced offense, I think you really could have seen some big numbers out of Quintez Cephas. And I think the Chargers getting him in round four, you know, really makes a ton of sense. You know, this is a good kid. Um, He was wrongfully accused of a crime that he did not commit. And again, he was found not guilty of of these charges, which was ultimately why the school brought him back and and welcomed him in. And, you know, I I really want to see him do well and see him succeed. And I, I think getting him on the chargers, um, when you think about it, you know, if you can have Justin Herbert at quarterback, Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler at running back with 
Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Quintez Cephas at receiver, and, and Hunter Henry at tight end. I think that's really a, a good nucleus of, uh, of skill position players. So then you move on from Cephas, round number five. I'm looking at the linebacker position, and uh, you know a guy that's no longer on the Charger roster, one of my favorites, is Jatavis Brown. Now, Jatavis Brown, not the biggest guy at all. He's just 5'11", uh, but a guy who just flo- you know, would fly around to the football, make plays all over the field. And uh, I look at the outside linebacker position. There's no depth behind Melvin Ingram and, and Uchenna Nwosu. Uh, and then in the inside, you've got Nick, Nick Vigil and, and Denzel Perryman. Um, you know, Drew Tranquil is kind of that hybrid linebacker, that new age linebacker could also play safety. Um, that's really kind of roaming around there between the inside and outside. And I, I think there needs to be some additional depth. And I'm looking for another guy who can be an explosive guy, explosive playmaker that can really roam uh, the field. And I'm looking at Davion Taylor out of Colorado. Uh, Davion Taylor, six foot, 228 pounds, ran a 44940 at the combine, bring some athleticism and speed uh, to that defense. I think, you know, his versatility uh, is something that the Chargers will welcome on the defensive side of the football. Moving on to round number six, I mentioned that the, the Chargers would likely double up at the position, and I'm looking at uh, a guy. He was the only FCS receiver um, to declare himself eligible for the draft early, and I'm looking at Isaiah Coulter out of uh, out of Rhode Island, 6'3", 190 pounds. Um, you know, a guy who uh, 72 receptions. Uh, over a thousand yards, eight touchdowns in 2019, and um, you know somebody you know f- from an athletic standpoint, this is a guy who at, at the combine looked like a, a very fluid athlete, very uh, effortless going through the gauntlet. Showed some natural hands. Ran a four four five forty. So uh, I mentioned he was six three. Actually measured in a six two one ninety eight at the combine. Um, you know thirty six inch vertical leap as well. So he's got some athleticism to him. Um, and I look at him, you, you bring in him into that fold with that, that mix of, uh, of skill position players. And I think you really start building something there for the chargers, um, you know, in this post Philip rivers era. And then when you look at the chargers, you're talking about that number seven, uh, that seventh round pick. I'm actually looking at, at a guy who can be a little bit of, you know, can be versatile. You lost Derek Watt, the fullback. He's no longer there. He's in Pittsburgh now. Um, Hunter Henry, the tight end, franchise tag, uh, a guy who doesn't seem to really be able to stay healthy. Virgil Green, more of a, a blocking tight end more than anything else. I'm looking at a guy who could who could be a fullback. He could be a, an H-back, can play the tight end position, can be split out or in the slot as well. I'm looking at Charlie Taumopeau out of Portland State. Um, this is a guy who I think you know has that athleticism, like I said, to to be a receiver, but he has the versatility to be able to to block in a number of different schemes. And uh, you know, over 100 receptions in his career, 1,876 yards and 11 touchdowns. You know, 16 yards per reception in his career as well. Uh, not overly fast for the tight end position, but it's respectable. 4.7540. But that 36 inch vertical, 36 and a half inch vertical leap really jumps out to you. And then additionally, we talk about that three cone drill and the ability to to make those cuts. And uh, ran a seven flat three cone drill. Uh, second fastest among the tight ends. Um, I, I think Charlie Tamopeo could very well come off the board earlier than round number seven, but I think he'd be a nice fit for the Chargers. So that's really what I have to round out the Chargers draft. Um, so moving on to Las Vegas, the Raiders. Moving to Las Vegas. 
you know, it's really weird. We're not talking about the Oakland Raiders. We're not talking about the Los Angeles Raiders. We're talking about the Las Vegas Raiders. And what's really crazy is, is if you look at that, that stadium that's just off the strip, it looks like the black hole. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun for the fans of the silver and black. And, um, look, you know, John Gruden and Mike Mayock, you know, they're still trying to turn the Raiders into a contender again. You know, that seems to be a monumental task at this point. The Raiders have only been uh, to the postseason once since they lost the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 37, uh, to the Gruden-led Buccaneers back in 2002. After winning just four games in 2018, the Raiders won seven this past season, though they won only one of their last six games, which really knocked them out of playoff contention and ended up with that number 12 overall pick. Um, you know, Derek Carr, there are questions about whether or not he'd be the quarterback. He's in the third year of a five-year $125 million contract. Um, they brought in Marcus Mariota to be his backup, but it looks like Carr is going to be the quarterback so we can stop any of the talk about potentially seeing Jordan Love ending up in a, in a Raider uniform unless there's some sort of a blockbuster draft day trade where Derek Carr ends up in another uniform. I just don't see it happening. Uh, I think what you need to do uh, with that number 12 overall pick is you need to find a number one wideout. You know, a spot that has yet to be filled since Amari Cooper was traded after six games in 2018. Now, I know that's just a, a year and a half or a little over a year and a half, but still, you need to have a, you know, have a backup plan there. You need to have another receiver that you can, that you can really bring in. You know, and last year, of the top five leading receivers, only Hunter Renfro and Tyrell Williams were re- wide receivers. As a leading receiver was, was Darren Waller, the tight end, 90 receptions, over 1,100 yards and three touchdowns, and a pair of running backs. Uh, Jillian Richard and DeAndre Washington. Uh, that rounded out your top five. With CeeDee Lamb off the board, the question's really, are the Raiders going to go Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs? Judy's the polished sudden route runner, and, and Ruggs is that vertical threat with a dynamic speed. I think Mayock and Gruden ultimately favored Judy based on his versatility. And when you talk Jerry Judy, you're talking about a guy who burst onto the scene nationally as a sophomore as Tua Tagovailoa's big play threat, finishing with 68 catches, over 1,300 yards, and 14 touchdowns as the Bolitnikoff Award winner. As a junior, he was more of the volume catcher for the Tide. You know, really allowed Ruggs and uh, Devontae Smith to step up as the big playmakers. And when you watch Judy play, uh, it's really a treat to watch. You know, very sudden off the line, allows him to separate quickly from defenders, um, but we can get rerouted from you know by those bigger physical corners. Um, you know, you'll see that as a theme here as we go along. Um, has that straight line speed though to run by press corners and will eat up the cushion uh, of a corner playing in off coverage in a hurry. Acceleration is so explosive, um, allows him to quickly run away from defenders after the catch. But it's really that route running that makes him an elite prospect. Understands leverage, does a good job stemming defenders away from the from uh, away from him before making his break, which really creates that that separation that you're looking for in the process. Flip uh, the fluid hip allow him to transition effortlessly and without any wasted movement offers up really sharp precise routes um, sharp precise cuts in his routes uh, and his speed through those cuts really puts a lot of pressure on the defensive back you just can't allow Judy to get a free release so defenders are going to be looking to be physical with him off the ball really looking to try to reroute him uh, he also struggles at times with with tracking the football. I don't think he always makes the necessary adjustments when the ball's in the air. It can have some issues with contested catches, the more physical, you know, going back to those physical corners again. Then there were those easy drops in the open field that he needs to eliminate from his game. But that said, I think Judy is a wide receiver one, and he, he can play both inside and out. But I, I think really his home is ultimately going to end up being in the slot where he can stretch the field in, in a 
you know, a myriad of, of directions and really make it make things a lot of fun there for the Raiders. Now, I, I mentioned that the Raiders have two picks, and they do. Um, you know, we move on to number 19 overall. The Raiders uh, got the pick from Chicago in the Khalil Mack trade, and uh, I actually had this pick penciled in, and I thought it was going to be uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., the safety out of Minnesota. I thought that his versatility was perfect for Mike Mayock. And then what do they do? They go ahead and they sign Demarius Randall. I had to completely change my draft. I thought that you know Jeff Heath wasn't going to be the answer there opposite Jonathan Abram. I thought that was a veteran, a guy who could play on special teams and be a core you know, key backup. And so I was right, but they, they ended up signing Randall, which means that they have to look at the cornerback position. And here's, here's why. You know, they, they, they've already addressed the linebacker position to hear Whitehead, Whitehead was released and, uh, you know, was a free agent casualty. Um, let's see, uh, Vontez Burfick was a, was a free agent casualty. Free agents, Corey Littleton, Nick Kwiatkowski uh, were signed to absorb that blow a little bit. Um, you've got edge rushers, Max Crosby and Cleland Furl who need help. Um, they did combine for 14 and a half sacks a season ago, uh, needed some help up front. They brought Carl Nassib in who racked 12 and a half sacks up, you know, in the last two seasons in Tampa. And then you have Malik Collins, defensive tackle. He also registered 14 and a half sacks in four seasons with the Cowboys. You add him to the mix. You've got a lot of guys who can put pressure on the quarterback, both on the outside and from within. And, uh, you know, I, I look at that. I think ultimately you've addressed the, the defensive line up front, you've addressed the linebacker position, but you have to really look at that secondary. You know, I already mentioned the safety position. We're going to get to the corner. Uh, you know, Raiders not only finished 29th in the league with just nine interceptions, but also finished with the most 40-yard plays, 16, and there's 68 plays of 20-plus yards, uh, 33 pass touchdowns given up, and 8.3 yards per reception were all fourth highest in the league. And to make matters worse, the only DBs in the top 50 and passes defended on their roster were a free agent, I'm sorry, a free safety, Eric Harris, and rookie corner Trayvon Mullen with 11 apiece, good for a tie for 44th overall. The Raiders did bring in first-rounder Eli Apple. His length was coveted by both Gruden and Mayock. He was supposed to start opposite Mullen, but they couldn't agree on a contract, which ultimately meant the corner position was going to be that major target. You know, I, I thought that you know Trev- Trevon Diggs from, Al- from Alabama could potentially be this pick, but I have him coming off the board number 17 overall to, to Dallas. And so here's, here's kind of the thing. You know, I'm looking at A.J. Terrell out of Clemson, and I've said that A.J. Terrell, I didn't really think he was going to be a, a first-round pick, but um, you know, Mayock, there's, you know, he he, he kind of likes that that Clemson pipeline. You know, last season he went with Cleveland Furl, Trayvon Mullen, and Hunter Renfro, all of whom made an impact as rookies. I think he may go back to that well and hope that he can catch lightning in a bottle again. Now, yes, Terrell's last performance in a Clemson Tiger uniform left a lot to be desired against Jamar Chase and LSU, but one game can't define a three-year career with more ups than downs. In fact, his performance in the two previous games played a pivotal role in the Tigers' success against Virginia and the ACC Championship. A.J. Terrell had only two tackles in the game, but he excelled playing with inside leverage, repeatedly turning to run with the receiver, pinning his man to the sideline, not allowing any separation, taking away any option for the quarterback, Bryce Perkins. And then in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State, showed the ability to jump routes on the perimeter, to be disruptive at the catch point. Um, I think he's a physical press corner, 
likes to get his hands on the receiver early, jams the receiver, reroutes him off the ball, does a really good job in trail technique, uh, following just off the wide receiver hip before driving on the ball, closing burst, uh, using his length to get his hand in to make a play on the football as well. Breaks quickly on the ball in off coverage, but sometimes that aggressiveness will get him into trouble, be susceptible to, to some double moves. Um, he'll come down and run support. Doesn't always take the proper angle to the football, though. Needs to refine his footwork. Too many false steps in his plays on the outside that make it difficult at times to stay in phase. Also has trouble with his balance at the top of the route. Will lose contact with the receiver as he's tracking the ball to the inside. But that said, he still has that skill set to get him on the field early. I think he has a chance to start and, and as a rookie. And you know, I think it'd be pretty cool for him to start opposite Trayvon Mullen, a guy that he played alongside there for, uh, for the Clemson Tigers for a couple of years. You know, I, I think the Raiders in round number one, you get a receiver, you get a corner, which will then allow them to transition to, uh, some of the other positions on the defensive side of the football. Um, You look at the defensive tackle position. I think that's an area that they could potentially address. Uh, I I mentioned they did bring in Malik Collins. You have Maurice Hurst, um, who's had a a pretty solid career starting out there for uh, the Raiders. Uh, Jonathan Hankins is on the roster, PJ Hall as well. But you know, when you're talking about Vegas at the defensive tackle position, um, you know, not everybody is going to be uh, on the roster come 2020 you actually have a couple of guys who are going to be free agents and i don't know that they're going to be able to sign everybody uh, at the position um in fact you know jonathan hankins emily collins both going to be free agents collins just signed a one-year six million dollar deal uh, jonathan hankins may end up leaving in free agency as well which ultimately leaves pj hall maurice Hurst on the roster i don't think they want to take that chance i'm looking at jordan elliott out of Missouri, 6'4", 302, really known for the, the three-sack performance as a sophomore, a guy who's very athletic, um, can be an interior pass rusher, plays pretty well against the run. I think he needs to worry worry about it, or work on his pad level, um, can get blown back at times in the running game. But look, Missouri is known for developing their, their defensive linemen. This is really the next guy in line. And I think that'd be a nice pick to start out in uh, in round number three. Now, I mentioned that that cornerback position, we were looking at things and we were talking about, okay, Trayvon Mullen and A.J. Terrell. Um, After that, you've got uh, Nevin Lawson, Nick Nelson, um, Isaiah Johnson, Ken Crawley. I think they they double up at the position and look for a corner. And round three might be a little too soon, but I'm looking at Michael Ojemudia out of Iowa. And you're going to say, well, this has to be too soon for for Michael Ojemudia. He's not one of the corners that people are really talking about. But uh, if you talk to a guy by the name of Jim Nagy out of uh, you know at, at the Senior Bowl, you'll see what what I'm talking about. You know, he, he brought up the fact that he was one of the few guys that was able to reroute and redirect. Chase Claypool, the big 6'4", 238-pound, huge receiver, could potentially be a tight end, um, was really pushing him around, able to redirect. And, you know, Ojemudia, look, he's 6'1", 200. He's no slouch. He's got some decent size to him. 17 pass breakups, 6 interceptions in his career as well. And then he shows up at the combine, and I mentioned, you know, 6'1", 200 pounds, and uh, ends up running a... uh, Let's see. I lost him. 
Uh, ends up running a 4.4540, which is in the top 10 among the corners at the combine. 36-inch vertical leap, and I mentioned that three-cone drill. You know, the ability to, to make those transitions, that was the second fastest, only to a 5.8 corner by the name of Miles Bryant out of Washington. But he you know, had the second fastest among all the cornerbacks who participated in the drill. And, uh, you know, breaking seven you know, seven seconds, you know, that, that means that he's got some of that, that, that shiftiness to him and, and can move laterally, but he also has that, that straight, straight line speed as well. I think Ojemudia is a, is a, an ascending prospect. To me, it just feels like a Mike Mayock special. Um, and then their third pick in, in round number three, and, and look, Vegas may or may not keep all three third round picks, but if they do, I'm looking at the linebacker position. And, and I mentioned linebacker. They've already addressed it with Nick uh, you know, Kwiatkowski. They, they've got Corey Littleton. They did bring back Nicholas Morrow and Kyle Wilbur on the roster. But I think you know that that's a position that's going to be up for grabs, that, that weak side linebacker. And I'm looking at a guy who can play, has the versatility to play both inside and out. And I mentioned that versatility. That's something that I think um, – Mayock is really going to be targeting and Marcus Bailey, six foot, 235 pounds, um, only played in two games in, in 2019, suffered a season ending injury. Um, but if you look at that 2018 team, you know, that's when Jeff Brom and the Boilermakers, Tyler Trent, you know, this was a Purdue team took down Ohio state and the leader on the defensive side of the football was absolutely Marcus Bailey, 115 tackles, nine tackles for loss, six and a half sacks in that season. Uh, and when you look at his totals, um, really over the course of just three seasons, um, you know, 324 total tackles, 28 tackles for loss, 14 and a half sacks, six interceptions, had four as a freshman, uh, you know, six pass breakups as well, a couple of forced fumbles. This guy fills up the stat sheet. He's an intelligent player, um, really was kind of the heart and soul of that defense. And when he went down, Purdue's defense really struggled to uh, to replace him. They, they really couldn't. And so when you have a guy that means that much to the defense, you know, number 21 uh, there for the Purdue Boilermakers really meant a lot. And I think that's those are the type of guys that Mike Mayock is looking to bring in. I think that makes a ton of sense there for the Raiders at the end of round number three. You know, if you're scoring at home, round number three, Las Vegas, that's going to be pick number, oh gosh. Uh, pick number 91, the pick that they got from Seattle. Uh, they, they have two back-to-back picks, 80 and 81 with Elliot Nojamudia, and then they go ahead and get Bailey uh, at the end of, of, uh, of round number three. So the Raiders then, they only have two more picks, um, and then their day is done. So round number four, I'm really looking at them targeting a running back. Now, when you look at the, the the roster, you've got Josh Jacobs, you have Jalen Richard, uh, DeAndre Washington is gone. Um, I, I think Josh Jacobs needs a guy who can really come in and spell him. You know, I, I think he's a guy who can be that bell cow for you, can really be the the workhorse, but he's not really used to that. I think he's used to sharing the backfield. I'm looking at a guy with some explosiveness like Keyshawn Vaughn. And I, I think that makes a, a lot of sense. You know, if you watch Keyshawn Vaughn play, a uh, very dynamic runner. Um, let's see, uh, 5'10, 214 pounds, ran a 4'5, 140 at the combine. Um, and at Vandy, back to back, thousand yard seasons after transferred in from Illinois, sat at the 2017 season. Uh, and, uh, you know, look, he had 6.4 yards per carry for the Commodores. Even though the 2019 season, Vandy didn't really have much of a much of an offense to speak of. Um, you know, he still managed 
to rush over a thousand yards, 21 touchdowns in those two seasons. And wasn't much of a pass catcher at Illinois had just 25 receptions in those two seasons, followed it up with 41 receptions for fan for Vandy. And, uh, I think he'd be a nice compliment to Josh Jacobs feels like a guy who, uh, would be a Mike, Mike Mayock type pick as well. Um, so I'm looking at, uh, you know, that's one of the things I, I think, you know, Mike Mayock, he wants to find those, those versatile playmakers, uh, guys who, um, you know, made plays at the collegiate level. And, uh, you know, I think Keyshawn Vaughn absolutely did that. And looking at round number five, um, if you look at the offensive guard position for the Raiders, I think it's a little thin. You know, tackle, you've got Colton Miller and and Trent Brown. You've got Brandon Parker, David Sharp. You know, I think you're in good shape there. And then at the center position, you have Rodney Hudson. But then at the guards, you've got Richie Incognito and... Uh, and, and Gabe Jackson. And the thing with Richie Incognito is, you know, how, how much longer is he going to be around? He has signed through, through 2021, signed a two year, $12.7 million deal. But uh, look, Incognito's 36 years of age. So he's not going to be a long-term answer there. There's really no depth to speak of at that uh, guard position. So I think this is where they're going to look for, um, a guard to at least provide some depth and potentially take over for incognito when he calls it a career. And I'm looking at a guy out of uh, Louisiana Lafayette uh, by the name of Kevin Dotson. If you haven't gotten to see him play, he didn't show up at the combine. He wasn't invited, but 6'4", 321 pounds, and, and the guard is a mover. He's a mauler. He wants to generate a ton of movement. He was a guard. Robert Hunt was at tackle. Hunt's going to ultimately move inside to guard as well. And look, Billy Napier... What he's done there, you don't think of two offensive linemen coming from Louisiana in one draft, but it's going to happen. Billy Napier really has something going there. Had that trio of running backs. Raymond Calais, um, he's a senior this year. He won't be back, but you have Trey Regis and Elijah Mitchell, two guys who have um, you know, draft potential. Um, I, I think they're two guys to keep an eye on there in the Sun Belt Conference. Um, and, and so when, when I really look at, at this, I, I think this is going to be a guy who can – Add some additional power, some nastiness, um, a la Richie Incognito, if you will. Um, I think that'd be a nice pick in round number five for the Raiders. So we're halfway through the uh, AFC West, which means we get to move just a couple of picks to, to Denver, 15 overall. And I mentioned Henry Ruggs third potentially going to to Denver. And that was really the guy that I had penciled in for Denver uh, this entire pre-draft process. And, and what's funny is, is that's probably what's going to happen is Henry Ruggs will probably end up going to Denver because that's usually what happens, especially when I make, make the change at the very last minute. And the reason why I'm looking at Henry Ruggs, Cortland Sutton, you know, established himself as the team's top wideout, but your number two wideout, Deshaun Hamilton, finished fifth on the team in reception behind Noah Fant, the tight end, and a couple of running backs, Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. Drew Locke, you got to get him some additional weapons, and he really flourished at Mizzou in Columbia uh, when he had a healthy Emmanuel Hall on the outside, tossing dimes to the streaking receiver down the sideline. That's really when Drew Locke was dangerous. He had that that vertical threat, and that was really kind of a comfort, uh, you know, that, that security blanket, if you will, a guy that he could just drop the ball into uh, at will. And I, I think the Broncos are lacking a true vertical threat, and Henry Ruggs III 
His 4.2740 time um, makes him a perfect fit if he's still on the board. But here's the thing. Even if Henry Ruggs is not on the board in this case, he's not. Have him going off the board 13 overall to the Niners, as I mentioned earlier. But Jalen Rager, here's a guy that I think Denver needs to target in round two. He can be that vertical threat. You know, unlike a guy like a KJ Hamler, you know, I think Jalen Rager attacks the football in the air. He's more of a natural pass catcher, very athletic guy, has a 42-inch vertical leap. Um and and the thing with um Jalen Rager, actually it's not 42 inches. That's Henry Ruggs. Um, I want to make sure that I'm completely accurate here with Jalen Rager. Um, no, actually he does. 42-inch vertical leap. So go figure. The two most explosive athletes here, uh, each with a 42-inch vertical leap. So I was right. Um, you know, But he posted a, a 40 time in the four twos on social media. It was unofficial, but still, you're talking about that explosiveness vertically. I think you can target him in round number two. Uh, and Detroit, I think this is possible because Detroit, or I'm sorry, Denver is sitting there at uh, number 46 overall. I think there are some other other picks ahead of them. You know, could Jalen Mayer go there? Could Denver potentially trade up to get him? Sure, but I think they can still sit there at 46 overall and land Jalen Rager. You get that vertical threat for for uh, for Drew Locke. And so sitting there in round number one at number 15 with uh, Ruggs off the board, you know, you have to look to really replace Chris Harris Jr. And I think they did that by bringing in A.J. Boye from Jacksonville. Um, there's still a need for a corner on the outside, especially considering Bryce Callahan is best suited as the nickel and Isaac Yadam is not ready for a starting role. Uh, and really it's, it's CJ Henderson and, and everybody else after Jeffrey Okuda solidified himself in 2018 pro football focus, uh, confirmed that he had just one, uh, reception on every 19 snaps and didn't allow a single touchdown in coverage as a junior you know, first team all SEC honors after leading the Gators with 11 pass breakups, despite only playing in nine games, battling an ankle injury during the season. 43940 at the combine as well, so showed off that athleticism. Cover skills to be on the island, lockdown corner, absolutely. Good size for the position, smooth athlete, fluid hips to seamlessly change directions. Um, has the agility and fluidity to, to really mirror that receiver sticking like glue stride for stride not allowing separation um you'll see him get his hands on the receiver early does a good job rerouting his man off the ball plays with anticipation reads the quarterback's eyes driving quickly on the football and in off coverage very smooth transition closing burst to disrupt the receiver at the catch point uh, does a really good job playing uh, on the ball side hip of the wideout on in-breaking routes allows him to make a break on the ball knock the football away so simply put he puts himself in tremendous position to make a play on the football. Now, where he struggles um, has you know, at times with his ability to track the football with his back to the to the ball uh, and zone recognition can be better. Will lose sight of the receiver, and uh, maybe the biggest knock is the tackling. You know, shown an ability to come up and run support, but he plays with inconsistent effort wrap up and drive up the ball carrier on one play then offer a poor effort by diving at the feet of a runner uh, in space on the next. Um, you know, so I think teams will test his physicality, um, which I think can be called into question at times. Uh, but while that, that, that tackling ability uh, is a concern, I think those elite cover skills outweigh any of those limitations. He is the number two corner. Get your corner there in round number one. Get your speedster in round number two. And I think Denver's off and running after that. Um, 
you know, Denver's got quite a few picks in this draft. So they've actually got three in round number three. And so I'm looking at an, at an inside linebacker with their first pick in round number three. Uh, and if you're scoring at home, that pick is going to be number 77 overall. And that's going to be Malik Harrison, 6'3", 234 pounds out of Ohio State. And when you look at that line, I, I think they just need to get more athleticism on that line. I like Josie Jewell, uh, what he did at Iowa. Uh, you've got Todd Davis, you know, who's really been an overachiever there on the interior of that that linebacking core, Alexander Johnson's another guy that they're talking about there. Um, but I think Malik Harrison has proven, you know, he can play inside, he can play outside. Um, I, I think in a 3-4 scheme, Malik Harrison can play that inside linebacker position. Um, very intelligent player, you know, knows where the football is going to be. Um, you know, look, you know, 29 tackles for loss, including 16 and a half in 2019, uh, over 200 tackles. Um, you know, and really when he was a, a starter the last two seasons, uh, 156 of those tackles in those last two years, uh, a guy who can drop into coverage, nine pass breakups in his career as well. So it's not just a one trick pony, a guy that plays behind the line of scrimmage. He can drop into coverage, has some pretty good athleticism, a guy who, you know, isn't going to necessarily line up with the tight end, but a guy who I think can play in zone coverage pretty well, reads the quarterback's eyes diagnosis plays I think that'd be a nice pit uh, nice fit there for Denver and then I think you have to look offensive line after that I've got a couple of picks there for them in round number three uh, the first one I, I think you really have to address that center position you know Graham Glasgow I think is going to come in he didn't give up a sack a season ago with the Lions has that versatility to be a guard in a center I think he's ultimately going to play guard and I think you know and uh, I think that center position is going to be up for grabs I'm looking at Tyler Beattis. I think you can add some of that zone blocking scheme. Tyler Beattis there at center. Um, you know, very, you know, a guy who started every game in his career at Wisconsin. You know, he's limited athletically, and I think that's why he f- has fallen in the draft. 6'4", 314 pounds. You know, a guy who I think is is athletic enough to get out and be a lead blocker. Uh, very intelligent player. This was a guy Wisconsin had to replace, you know, three NFL offensive linemen. Uh, Michael Dieter and uh, Bo Benshaw and uh, David Edwards. You know, Cole Van Landen was just a part-time starter there at the left tackle position. Um, you know, I, I think what he was able to do and, you know, block for Jonathan Taylor, who rushed for over 2,000 yards yet again, I think that really speaks to the IQ there for, for Beatus at the pivot. I think he's a guy who can step in and start right away. Again, not the most athletically gifted center by any means, but really a smart uh, smart performer. And I think those are some of the guys that are going to get on the field earlier, are those intelligent players, a guy who I think intellectually is going to be ready day one. I think you can put plug him in and, and allow him to start. And I think he'll probably end up being a starter in the league for a long time at that center position. So then finally, you're looking at another tackle. Um I'm sorry, another offensive lineman, and that's going to be a tackle. Uh, Garrett Bowles, you know, this is a guy, the holding penalties, the sacks given up. Um, you know, he's a former first-round pick, and uh, he's under contract uh, for another year. So really the question is going to be, um, you know, does this guy have nine lives? Is he, you know, how long is he going to stay with with Denver? Um He's under contract through 2021, so I think you still have a little bit of time, but uh, you still have to prepare for potentially life without Garrett Bowles. And uh, I think if that's going to be the case, I think you're you're looking at a guy who can be, you know, has 
raw potential. You know, very athletic. He's a big dude. He's six eight. Um, but you, you watch him play, you know, he's very raw, needs to get in an NFL weight room. He's got chicken legs. He needs to stop skipping leg day. Uh, he's 6'8", 308, ran a 509, 40 at the combine. Alex Taylor out of South Carolina State. I really like this guy. He's very athletic. If you saw him at the, at the senior bowl, but I wanted to see him, you know, see him pl- play against, um, you know, that higher level of competition and he more than held his own. I think it's one of those things he really struggled to anchor, and that's really you know speaks to that lower body strength that he was lacking. Get him into you know an NFL weight room, get him in there with a position coach, work on technique a little bit, and I think you know tap into some of that that, that potential, and you could potentially be looking at the Broncos moving on from Garrett Bowles, um, you know when his contract is up at the end of the 2021 season. I, I you know I firmly believe that Alex Taylor has that type of potential. I'm looking at round four for for Denver, and look, you got Jarrell Casey at, uh, you know, they brought him in from Tennessee, and you've got Shelby Harris on the opposite side. That nose tackle, I think, is a position that needs to be addressed. You've got Mike Purcell there. I just, I'm not feeling it there. I think they can do better. And um, I'm looking at Lecky Fotu out of Utah. This is a big physical dude, a guy who, you know, he's mean, he's nasty. If you watch that USC game, first play of the game, he takes... Keaton Slovis drives him into the ground, ultimately concussion out for the game. Um, you know, Fotu, you know, is a space eater. He's a guy who's going to absorb a lot of blockers, uh, allowed guys like Bradley and I and, uh, and Francis Bernard to make plays behind him. Uh, Cody Barton the year before that was another guy that was playing all over the field. Uh, 17 tackles for loss, four sacks in his career. Um, again, you know, I, I worry about his, his durability, um, has yet to you know finish a um, an entire season, and so you you think about that uh, Utah. I think at most they're playing fourteen games. You know you got to get through the rigors of a a sixteen. Well, I guess now seventeen game schedule. Is he going to be able to to ha- to hold up there? Uh, but when you're sharing that position with a guy like Mike Purcell, um, you know I, I think that's one of the things. At least as he gets his legs there within the the NFL. Um, I, I think he's he is somebody who can hold down that nose tackle position, very strong at the point of attack, has some of that short area burst uh, to get into the backfield and affect the passer a little bit. And so I, I really like this pick for Denver sitting there at the top of of, uh, of day number three for them. You know, and you know they're going to have a very active um, day three as well. Uh, pick number eighteen, Lucky Fotu. You move on to round number five and. Uh, you know, look, Denver's got another pick here. Um, let's see. They've got the compensatory pick sitting there at 179 overall. And uh, I'm looking at a safety with this pick. And the reason for that, you've got Kareem Jackson, the elder statesman there at strong safety. You've got Justin Simmons, the franchise player at free safety. And I don't think there's a lot behind them. So at least, if nothing else, you get a guy who can come in uh, add depth to the position, and if you know Kareem Jackson, if he ends up um, retiring, or you know Justin Simmons ends up moving on after the season, after the franchise tag, um, I, I think Brandon Jones showed at Texas that he has that leadership ability. Um, you know, really leading, he was the leader of that Longhorn secondary. Um, 
these last couple of seasons. Um, Over 200 tackles in his career, 14 tackles for loss, three interceptions, seven pass breakups, a guy who um, wants to be physical. I don't think he, he is as much of a playmaker in coverage, but a guy who really wants to come in and, you know, I think he plays with reckless abandon at times, just kind of throws his body at guys, doesn't always wrap up, but he always seems to be in position to make a play. And that's one of the things I think he has the the instincts, that football IQ. He just needs to put everything together. And I think, you know, this is somebody who, you know, if you put him in there and play with a guy like Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, learn from them. I think you you can tap into some of that potential there, um, making him potentially a really nice pick. Some people have him coming off the board much earlier, possibly the third round. I think fifth round is actually better value for him at that point. Um, now, I've got another tackle coming off the board. I think you still have to find some depth at that position as well. I'm looking at Terrence Steele out of Texas Tech, 6'6", 312 pounds, ran a 503.40 at the Combine, very athletic tackle. If you watched him at the Senior Bowl, another guy who I thought athletically, you know, he was he was the right tackle there, and I really for a long time was watching Travis Bruffy, the left tackle, um, but the guy that always ended up making more plays, um, you know, was the right tackle. You know, this was a guy who was just, you know, effortless with his kick slide while while Bruffy was getting beat on the left side. Steele was handling his man, you know, able to really wall him off um, with some of that speed. You know, use that that, that kick slide getting. A deep enough, uh, you know, step there. That initial step, you know, what drives me nuts are, are those linemen who end up taking those horizontal steps. And when you've got an edge rusher, you know, if you just start doing some of the geometry, some of the math with it, and some of the angles, if you're stepping horizontally at a guy who's taking this angle off the edge, he's going to beat you. He's going to beat you to the edge, and he's coming right around you. Um, so you've got. A guy like Terrence Steele, that athleticism, another guy who I think is still raw and needs some, you know, needs some seasoning before he can really make an impact. But I, I think in round number six, you know, those are some of the guys that you could potentially be looking for there. Um, round number seven, they have two picks. I'm looking at Austin Edwards out of Ferris State, the, the defensive end, 6'5", 275 pounds. Um, and this is a guy, look, he reminds me a lot of, of Zach Seiler, who also came out of Ferris State, was a seventh-round pick of the Ravens. He's now on the Miami Dolphins roster. And, um, you know, I, I think with Seiler, Seiler was a lot bigger. He was over 300 pounds. Um, I think he was actually 290 in college. They bulked him up to, to over 300 pounds. And I think when you look at, at uh, Austin Edwards, I think he has some of that frame. Um, to be able to add some weight to him and still make a difference out there on the field. But if you put on a Ferris State, you know, any game film, it was really hard for me to find. But I was ultimately able to find uh, number eight running around there on that that, that team. And uh, in 2019, 64 tackles at the defensive end position, very um, active uh, for a defensive end, 10 and a half sacks and 17 and a half tackles for loss. Again, very active, makes a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage. And I think this is a nice developmental pick there for uh, Denver in round number seven. You know, I mentioned that you have uh, Jarrell Casey and you have uh, Shelby Harris, but uh, you've got Demarcus Walker and Demar- uh, Draymond Jones behind him. Um, I-, I think this could potentially be a pick that uh, you know we won't really see a ton of production from him initially, but a guy that you could potentially um, even put on the practice squad for a year or two, really put some size to him, and then you'll see what you have after that. And then I think um, that last pick that they have, 
in round number seven. It's pick number 255 overall. Second to last pick. Um, I'm looking at, at Casey Tuhill out of Stanford. 6'4", 250 pounds, outside linebacker. A guy who just knows how to get after the quarterback. And you've got Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, two of the best edge rushers, best combo, I think, in, in uh, the league coming off the edge. And then behind him, you've got you know, Malink Reed. There is Jeremiah Tauchu on the on the roster. Justin Hollins was drafted in the fifth round a season ago. Um but two hill, I think this is another athletic edge rusher coming off, you know, coming off the corner. You know, a guy who look, he, he went to Stanford, smart guy, intelligent, um, 21 and a half tackles for loss, 14 sacks. You know, a, a guy who look, you know, he, he may have to work to make the roster, may have to be a, spend a year on the practice squad. But I think you know he has some skills that uh, and some tools for for the Broncos to work with. So I think round number seven that makes some sense there. And then finally, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl champs. We're gonna round out our tour here of the the NFL teams after the after free agency with uh, with Kansas City. And look, Super Bowl champs, one of the most explosive offenses we've seen in years with with. Uh, Patrick Mahomes leading the way, but it may have actually been the addition of Steve Spagnuolo as their defensive coordinator that really elevated them to the championship level. Cornerback position has been an area of concern in past years. Sometimes it's been downright dismal, uh, but Spagnuolo's influence really allowed the likes of Kyle Fuller, Bashad Breeland, uh, Shavarius Ward, uh, Morris Claiborne, uh, and Rashad Fenton to thrive. You know, Fuller and Breland came up huge in the Super Bowl, each picking off Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Fuller left in free agency. Breland was re-signed to a one-year deal. Um, you know, I think the top corners coming off the board, I think KC uh, is going to wait until day two to take a corner. Um, you know, I think that ultimately makes sense for them. I'm looking at Cam Dantzler in round number two, the 6'2", 187-pound uh, corner out of uh, Mississippi State. You know, so... If he's if they're passing on a corner, uh, then where do they go? You know, there's the one-two punch up front. You know, rushing the passer, Chris Jones on the inside, Frank Clark on the outside. Frank Clark needs a running mate, and I'm looking at Utah Gross Matos. If he's still on the board, the, the kid out of Penn State, the the imposing, physically imposing defensive end, his explosiveness and power would make him the perfect fit opposite Clark. Um, but you know, I think this pick very, may very well actually be used on the interior of that offensive line. The left guard, Andrew Wiley. The center, Austin Ryder. Uh, the right guard, LDT, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. All battled injuries a season ago. Wiley and Ryder only under contract through this season. And then Stefan Wisniewski, obviously he's gone as well. So that, you know, that hurts the interior of the line as well. I think they're going to be looking for an upgrade. And a player that has the versatility of Cesar Ruiz at Michigan, you know, 6'3", 307 pounds, play both center and guard. Um, I think he makes, you know, makes sense. You know, he's more of that obvious choice. 10 games as a starter, I'm sorry, played 10 games as a freshman, started five at right guard, then slid over to the pivot, started the next 26 games for the Wolverines, Technically sound athlete, um, always working to the whistle, bends with uh, bends well, fires off the ball with a low pad level, maintains leverage, very effective on seal blocks, getting his hips around quickly to open a hole for the back. If you watch him play, his head is always on a swivel, always looking to deliver a block, always looking to, to make a play down the field. Um, 
Agility allows him to be the perfect candidate as a lead blocker. Uh, and when he gets to the second level in a hurry, uh, you know, he can also be under control at the same time, making contact, locking onto that moving target. Whenever he gets his hands on a defender, he's looking to finish the block with the most devastating way possible. Uh, and pass protection fires out of a stance in a hurry after the snap and pass protection shoots those hands under the interior lineman's pad level. Good initial punch at the point of attack maintains active feet has very, um, you know, that lateral agility allows him to mirror that defender effortlessly. Um, if he can get the hands on the defender early, he can sustain those blocks to the whistle. What he runs into, though, is he doesn't always win with his hands at the point, can be susceptible to quick pass rush moves off the ball, will overextend at times, gets too far over his feet, loses leverage, causes him to get driven back, but he's the best interior lineman in this draft. Only guy who has a first-round grade. I think KC, look, they need to replace Wisniewski, and uh, they also have questions at the center position, so wherever they want to play him, I think, Cesar Ruiz will be a, a day one starter for the Chiefs. Now, I mentioned Cam Dantzler in the second round. I initially had him coming off the board in round three, and I mentioned him, I believe, to the Rams in my last podcast. But I look at Cam Dantzler, and uh, I think the issues for him are are the really the speed. And uh, you know, with Dantzler, he's a 6'2 corner, has excellent length, 187 pounds, so he's very slight. Ran a 4.6440. I think that 4.64 uh, was second slowest among all the corners uh, at, at the combine. Uh, 34 and a half inch vertical leap, so he's got some explosiveness to the to the lower body, but that's still on the lower end among the corners as well. So those are some of the things that you really worry about. But at the same time, we definitely has ball skills. Um, you know, this is a guy who was really a lockdown corner for. Uh, for Mississippi State over the last couple of seasons. And, uh, you know, he had five interceptions, 20 pass breakups in his career. And I think the, the biggest thing that I can say for Cam Dantzler is his position coach is Terrell Buckley. T-Buck knows a thing or two about the cornerback position. And when T-Buck says this is the guy who's the top corner in the SEC and potentially, you know, in the entire, uh, in the entire draft – then I think you need to listen. You know, I, I think there are some skills there. There are some things to work with. You just worry about the athleticism. Is he going to be a guy um, who can handle NFL wideouts? That's really going to be a huge question mark. You know, played in just nine games as a freshman and as a junior, so you worry about some some durability issues there as well. Um, but I think. You know, at the end of, of the second round, Kansas City looking for another corner. I think that makes some sense. Now in round three. Um, I think Kansas City transitions to the offensive side of the football uh, again. And, you know, Eric Bieniemy. look, you know, Damian Williams has been nice at the running back position. Darwin Thompson filled in very well. But I think this is a team that needs to find uh, another running back that can really make an impact. And I'm looking at Zach Thomas. I'm sorry, Zach Moore. <laughs> Can't even get this right. I said Zach Thomas. I said Zach Morris. It's Zach Moss. And Zach Moss out of Utah, you know, this was a guy very physical. You know, he's he's a big dude too. Um, you know, he's not very tall, but uh, powerfully built. Five uh, nine, two hundred twenty three pounds. Ran a four six five forty at the combine. Not overly fast, but this is a guy who I think is quicker than he is fast and uh, has some lower body strength that really allows him to run through tackles. I think this would be a nice complement to uh, Damian Williams. And Darwin Thompson adds a different dynamic to that uh, to to that running back room. 
Um, a guy who's rushed for over a thousand yards in each of the last three seasons, um, has some injury concerns. And I think that's why he's kind of fallen to round number three, in my opinion. Um, but, uh, played an entire season there for Utah, over 1400 yards on the ground, 15 touchdowns, 38 in his career, over 4,000 yards for the Utes and look, 66 receptions in uh in his career as well had uh two of the two of the last three seasons had at least 28 receptions um you know a, a guy who i think is just continuing to get better as a pass catcher and if he can stay healthy he could potentially be one of those sleepers at the running back position i think casey would be happy to get him in round number three which means we then transition to day three of the draft and i mentioned that they needed to get a defensive end and in round number four, I'm looking at Khalid Kareem out of uh, Notre Dame. Now, Khalid Kareem, you know, he was not the explosive pass rusher that uh, his counterpart, Julian Aquara, was. And I think that's why he's ultimately coming off the board later on in the draft. But Khalid Kareem, look, really good production um, in his three seasons there at Notre Dame. He's a senior, um, you know, 26 tackles for loss, 13 sacks, eight pass breakups as well. Does a good job with his length, gaining his hands in the passing lane. Four forced fumbles, including three of this past season. So he's a guy who uh, knows how to find the football, has a nose for the ball, knows uh, knows what to do when he arrives uh, at the football as well. Um, you know, he, he's 6'4", 268 pounds. I mentioned the length, over 34-inch arms, so definitely able to get his hands into the passing lane and and disrupt the passer. And uh, when you look at the Chiefs, outside of Frank Clark, you know, there's uh, obviously Tano Passigno, you know, another big physical dude. Um, You've got Breland Speaks, um, which really was a surprise uh, draft pick in the second round a couple years ago. Um, you've got Alex Okafor on the roster as well. I think this is another guy. He kind of fits the mold of, of the type of pass rusher that uh, the Chiefs have on their roster and a guy who I think could ultimately uh, work his way into um, being a rotational player, if not a starter, opposite Frank Clark. So then I mentioned... You know, I don't know that I did, but the Chiefs only have one other draft pick uh, unless they trade back into the draft. And that's going to be in round number five. And I think they need to find a linebacker, to be perfectly honest with you. And uh, with KC, that linebacker position, uh, they've got Damian Wilson. They've got Anthony Hitchens, uh, Dorian O'Daniel, Ben Neiman. Um, you know, a lot of overachievers at the position. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at a guy who's going to bring some athleticism. And that's Michael Walker out of Fresno State. Um, you know, this is a guy, he's a big, you know, he, he's really lean. He's really tall, um, but he's lean. You know, he's 6'3", 230 pounds. You know, he looks leaner than that, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, ran a 4.65 at the, at the combine. Um, you know, a guy who flies around to the football, makes a lot of plays. Um, you're there for, for Fresno state. He was really the guy, um, that the Bulldogs counted on to make plays on the defensive side of the ball. And I thought that he really stepped up and did that. Um, let's see in his two seasons there in the, at Fresno, um, ultimately had two seasons, uh, 182 tackles, including 96 this past season, 22 and a half tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, 10 pass breakups as well, three forced fumbles. So he's got a nose for the football, can drop into coverage, pretty fluid athlete, a guy who can also make plays behind the line of scrimmage, get after the quarterback a little bit. And those 182 tackles shows that he's also incredibly uh, active as a linebacker. So 
you know, I, I think that'd be a nice guy that you could add into that rotation and potentially be a guy who could surprise people in the fifth round. So that's the AFC West. And ultimately, we've gotten through all eight of the divisions. We've taken a look at all 32 teams and really what I anticipate uh, teams potentially doing uh, with some of their draft picks um, You know, and kind of debating what each of these teams are going to do on draft day, uh, trying to really think of, all right, well, if this happens, then what's going to be the backup plan for a particular franchise? It's been a lot of fun with that. And we're going to then transition to the positions. We're going to take a look at each position and talk about um, some of the draft grades that I have, or I'm sorry, you know, the positional grades. Um, where do I see them going in the draft? What rounds do I see these 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 players going? We're going to start with the quarterbacks, and uh, you know, potentially also take a look at the running backs as well. Um, you know, want to make sure that we don't run out of time. But uh, when you look at those quarterbacks, I think you have uh, four quarterbacks who are going to come off the board in. Uh, round number one, I think that definitely is, is going to end up happening. Um, you know, you've got Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow's not going to be the only guy, um, obviously. Um, you've got Tua, and if Tua had stayed healthy, he could potentially be the, the guy that you're talking about as the number one overall pick. Uh, and then you've got Justin Herbert and Jordan Love after that. Which one of those guys is going to be first off the board? I think it's going to be Herbert, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is Jordan Love. And then after that, you've got some other some other quarterbacks um, to really keep an eye out for. Uh, Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, uh, Jalen Hurts, um, Anthony Gordon. Um, you know, So you've got some quarterbacks there. You know, those are all guys that I have coming off the board in the first four rounds. There's some other names um, at the end of day three that I, I think are names that people need to really be mindful of as well. And then at that running back position, very deep at the position, there's 17 running backs that I think will get drafted. Um, and, and you've got some versatility there. You've got a lot of guys who can catch the football out of the backfield, guys who have shared roles, guys who can be very physical uh, between the tackles. So I, I think there are going to be a lot, of, uh, a lot of running backs actually at, like I said, 17. And uh, if you look at it, I only have one running back coming off the board in round number one, but I think there are going to be seven that come off the board uh, in the first two days. And then I'm looking at uh, four in round number four, one in round five, another three in round six, and two in round seven. So not as many at the running back position as we've had in, in previous seasons, but I think the, the players that we're going to be talking about, you know, there are some, some names there that can, I think, really make an impact early on in their career. So we're going to t- kind of take a look at the draft history by position and really what that history looks like for both the quarterback and running back position. And then we'll get into the specific players themselves as well. And then that'll hopefully get things ramped up, get you ready for that draft on April 23rd, right before the draft, that Wednesday before the 22nd, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that I have released my final mock draft. Uh, it'll be on the website, but it'll also, we'll go ahead and break it down here on the podcast, get through everything as well. So I, I hope you've enjoyed all the content to this point. Um, I've really enjoyed bringing it to you. And uh, you know we're going to go ahead and keep this thing going. I want to be fast and furious with these podcasts, get another one released, um, hopefully in the next day or two, continue the, 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 the stretch that we've been going on and uh, really take things from there, carry that momentum all the way into the draft. So for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. Can't believe it's already episode 32 of that 2020 podcast series. Hope I am getting you ready 
for the NFL Draft. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Hope everyone has a great week. Be safe, everyone, and we'll talk soon. Take care, and I am out of here.